On episode 220, I'm interviewing Estrella Lopez-Brea, Global Head of Consumer Connections and Serial Partners Worldwide. But first, a word from our sponsor. We'll take just a moment and thank G3 Translate. They have been a very valuable partner for Happy Market Research Podcasts and the work that we've been doing here. I greatly appreciate it. They transcribe each one of our interviews, which range from 20 to 40 minutes for free for us. It is a humongous benefit because it improves overall accessibility of the content that we are creating jointly with the research community. They have a unique approach. They're able to turn things around within 24 hours. I am very, very grateful for G3 Translate and hope that you will consider them for your next translation company project. Take the time, go ahead and go on social media. You can find them, simply Google G3 Translate, that's the number three, and you'll find their website as well as uh, LinkedIn. It would be mean literally the world for me if you'd take the time to do that. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Jamie Brazil, and you're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Estrella Lopez Brea. Correct. Global head, yay, <laughs> global head of consumer connections at Serial Partners Worldwide. Established in 1991, Serial Partners Worldwide is a joint venture between General Mills and Nestle to produce breakfast cereals. The company is headquartered in Switzerland and markets cereals to more than 130 countries. Prior to joining Serial Partners Worldwide, Estrella was the Knowledge and Insights Senior Analyst at Coca-Cola, where she guided the business unit's decision-making process and development of Coke's master brand strategy and their innovation pipeline. Estrella, thank you so much for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your parents, where you grew up, and how that has impacted your career. Okay, so I am originally from uh, Madrid, from Spain, um, but I live in Lausanne, in Switzerland, and um, I have um, two kids, in case that's interesting. <laughs> I have two kids, and um, they're now uh, starting to approach the dangerous zone of uh, being a teenager. And, uh, well, how about my parents? i tell you about my parents. They are um, now retired. But uh, they have been very, very active all their life. My father um, is a lawyer and my mom um, always, uh, she had passion for um, HR. So she, had, she was an HR director, very busy people, very focused on their careers, but at the same time, very focused on um, their children. I have three brothers too. And um, well, that has influenced my career. That's interesting because... Um, they uh, both taught me uh, different values, and I think it's coming also from their kind of what, what they did for a living, and that influenced, I think, certainly my career path and my choice to do consumer insights. My dad, uh, because he was a lawyer, he, you know, we were um, always, he's so focused on honesty and what's right or wrong and not compromising yourself, you know, for, for, and, and do the wrong thing. That was always in my mind but since I was little. I'm like, no, that can't be done. That's wrong. <laughs> and uh, that's interesting because, um, you know, that kind of objectivity is something that I always look for. Um, and I guess now it's very important in, in, you know, in the research world. And my mom um, being um, an, uh, in HR 
she was, you know, very focused on empathy. She was always talking about people and how important it was to talk to people as people, no matter who they were and where they were from. And she was always such a strong woman. She always told me never give up, you know, things that you like and what you want to do in your life. So she, you know, she taught me, um, you know, that no one is going to give me anything for free. I have to work really hard for it. And she also taught me um, about the importance of, uh, of empathy and, and uh, getting to know um, people deeply. And I think that's another piece that was attached to me and another reason why I love uh, consumer insights and getting to know people from around the world and getting to know who our consumers are. So I think they influenced a lot my career. So yeah, and then in terms of my career, I uh, I started working in the research uh, industry uh, when I was living in the U.S. in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for five years, and uh, that's where it all started. And uh, then I I moved back to Spain and worked for Coca Cola for ten years, where I held uh, very different roles. And then my last uh, kind of journey has been um, three years ago where um, I was called for a job in, in, in CPW, in Serial Partners Worldwide, um, here in Switzerland. So here I am today, enjoying every single day. Yeah, congratulations. So there's a, there's a couple things that I want to touch on. One is also having uh, two teenagers, actually almost three now, teenagers at home is a terror it's a terrifying process prospect, right <laughs> i think <laughs> they're, very, they're still on the safe side <laughs> oh yeah that's good well yeah i mean it's a different um it's a completely different you know the role of parenting has obviously maintained the same you've got to create clear boundaries for kids and um uh help them make you know educated decisions you can't obviously control the decisions that's that's the same for me when i grew up but but um, you know the amount that the the world has evolved dramatically from when we were when we were in our teens versus yeah. um, versus the youth today, and it's interesting to me how they have so much more information at their fingertips, yeah. and and you know the responsibility that that you know the opportunity I should say that that creates for them. Uh, from just a ability to be able to gain knowledge, my my fifteen uh, year old last night told me that he wants to start. A, he and his friend are starting a clothing brand, <laughs> which is hilarious, wow. right? Something that I would have never thought would be possible as a as a young person. And you know, he's just looking up online how to accomplish those objectives and working against yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an amazing age uh, when you see also how they're transforming in, from being, uh, you know, kids to being semi-adults. <laughs> and uh, that transition process is, is interesting and, 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 you know, rewarding too as a parent, right? Like seeing them grow and become uh, this young person that um, that you feel so proud of, so... Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, it is it is a rewarding um, it is a rewarding and also terrifying <laughs> at the journey. Same time. <laughs> from my, my at the same time, it has both. It has it has definitely lives in a state yeah. of tension. Um, but yeah, so your parents have clearly impacted you from a value perspective. I liked your kind of like the three legged stool that you articulated honesty, don't compromise, mm -hmm. and empathy. 
And maybe the fourth piece being um, a work ethic, yes. right? You've got you've to make your own way or take responsibility for where you are and where you want to uh, where you want to get Absolutely. to. This is, it's interesting be, to me because especially in context of SMR and Joachim, who mm -hmm. introduced you and I at, in Amsterdam uh, at the IAX conference, uh, you know, that those tend to be the core values of, of the industry. That's very interesting. Yes, it's true. I think uh, I hadn't thought about it, but now that you say it, it all, it makes sense. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. They're important yeah. pillars, right? Of, yeah. uh, because at the end, our industry is about treating with people, right? And getting to know people. So the moment, and we are people, so <laughs> if we're able to to see ourselves with those values, I think uh, we'll be able to to understand much better our consumers. And uh, I think uh, it's important, no? Like, like don't, don't treat others like you don't want to be treated. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, the it's, golden rule. Yes. <laughs> so I've done a, a fair amount of ethnography. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself in my early career thinking of the consumer as a they. So mm. what I mean is, you know, it, it, I didn't personalize their specific journey. And I found as I've been, you know, now in my late 40s, and I'm just a late bloomer, so for those <laughs> interested. Uh, but it, it really is about we, right? This, this, this connection of all of us and, you know, how we, inf that needs to be involved in how we inform the brands from the, you know, consumer's point of view. So really the personalization and the connection that yeah. we make with those consumers and the application of those insights into, into the brands on informing them on that, that consumer's point of view is, is I think, you know, the, the core tenant or a, yeah. a solid way for us to be able to bring value. To me, it's, it's the only way we can create value. If we don't know what consumers value, it's really hard for us to create value. <laughs> so we need to get to know people and their struggles and their aspirations and their tensions in order for us to be able to provide products and services that that they can use, right? Otherwise, uh, we can create the best uh, innovation in the world that no one's going to buy it. So we've all faced challenges. What is one of the biggest challenges that you have overcome either personally or professionally? So I think um, I've been lucky enough uh, to not have any, you know, big major problem in my life, like health or things like that. So I think um, probably my biggest challenge it's, mm, is something that is not very original and that a lot of other people have it too, <laughs> especially women, which is kind of like that element of, of finding harmony between my personal and my professional life. I think that's probably not a challenge because I was like literally struggling for it, but because it's really con a constant element that, that you have to deal with when you have a career that is, you know, relatively successful and, and if you have a family that you care for. So, um, you know, I, I've all I've been lucky. I've always had some kind of support net um, to help me cope with both uh, aspects of my life, whether it was my parents or you know a trustworthy nanny or an au pair or or you know a friend that you could tell, hi, can you pick up uh, you know my kid from school? That kind of thing. But um, an interesting challenge came to me when I moved to Switzerland um, with my family three and a half years ago. 
because on top of the you know implications of not speaking the language and um, and all of that, my husband left his job um, to support me and to be a stay-home dad and take care of uh, my kids. And um, that that has been an interesting uh, process, and um, it has been challenging even to accept it and to for for us and even just to be proud of it and to make the most out of it. And um, because it's unusual, and um, but but it's been it's been really great because uh, I have been able to focus on work these last few years and advancing, you know, my career and getting to do my job the best I can, knowing that my kids were, you know, in the best hands possible, and um, while they were adapting to the new environment and getting to know the language, and my husband is loving it because <laughs> hmm. he's having for the first time the opportunity to spend quality time you know with our children which is something that he never thought especially now in these kind of changing times of, of uh, as we were talking right when when the kids are transitioning a little bit into being teenagers so that's not it's not that I recommend people to follow the same path but what I mean is that the learning for me has been that you have to do what works for your family and without letting, you know, conventions or other people's opinions influence you. And this has worked for us in this period of time. It may not work, you know, in, later on, but uh, it has worked and it's working well and it's allowing us to find this harmony. Um, and um, yeah, so that's my little uh, story of my challenge. <laughs> yeah, that that is super interesting. So the... Women, I believe, face a tremendous amount of uh, guilt from potentially externally and then internally also. As soon as you have a, and this is my, after conversations with other people, by the way, <laughs> not personalizing it, but when you have children, you're either feeling guilty if you're not um, working, mm -hmm. right? Or there's a guilt if you are working mm -hmm. and... Uh, it's a it's a really interesting dynamic that um, you know society I think has sort of like set this view of what is the right way or the yeah. um, the the right to and and if you can step out of that and and operate in a kind of more truthful or self aware perspective on on then then you can shake those shackles forgive the metaphor of guilt mm -hmm. and create an environment that in fact you will raise a healthy successful family yeah <laughs> that's true but it's hard it's hard yeah it's hard but you have you know if you love what you do you just can't compromise mm. this is uh, as i was saying something that my mom taught me is like she told me i remember uh, when i was starting my career she told me once she's like when i was pregnant she's like don't don't look at um, the money. Don't look, you know, in Spain, it was kind of recession time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were stopping working because it was even more expensive to go to work <laughs> for them, you know, that stay in, at home, mm. you know, with, with their children. And um, kind of, you know, it, 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 was, right. it was very interesting. It's like, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, it's not worth it for the little bit of more money that I earn. I'll just stay home with my kids. And the one thing my mom told me is like, if you love what you do, it's your decision. But if you love what you do, don't give up. And don't look at it from a cost-effective point of view. Look at it from the point of view of you're doing what you love. 
And I always follow that. And, um, and I think we should all follow that. And if that means, you know, breaking a little bit the norm, that's fine. Tell me about the research project that you're most proud of. Oh, I think I have a very recent. I have a, a, a very recent one that, um, yeah, here in this company where I am uh, right now, um, it's been a pain and a such a reward at the same time. It's a really huge project. I, probably the biggest project, piece of foundational um, learning that uh, the company has ever done. It's a big project in, in across all the regions in the world, across different markets. That took me probably a couple of years uh, from beginning to end. And I talk in personal time, personal um, uh, on me because I, I had a little bit of a, a small team and it faded away and I ended up uh, working on it on my own. But um, it has uh, really um, helped the organization be consumer first and understand the consumer. It's about, it's a huge uh, consumer segmentation about the needs of the consumer. That's why the consumer is always at the heart of everything, everything that I talk about. Uh, but it's really aiming to know who consumers are, um, what they value, what they need, uh, and, and, and then for us to be able to develop strategies, innovation um, that, that meets the consumer needs. So um, it's been a huge one um, with a lot of impact in the organization. That's the reason why I feel uh, very proud of this because it has really helped the organization to be more consumer-centric by, by deeply understanding consumers. And it has really influenced um, the long-term plan of the company. And um, yeah, and, and you know, it's literally touched all the innovation pieces we have in our long-term plan. It has influenced the, the brand strategy of all of our brands. It has landed across all the markets and the regions and the functions. And every time I see, you know, an image of my project or a mention of my project, uh, you know, from the CEO to a person in another region or, a, you know, a BO somewhere or, a, uh, you know, a marketing director in a region, I, I feel really proud because it was really tough, but it has, um, yeah, it's, it's really creating an impact. It's probably the project that I've worked on that has been more impactful. Was there, is there, and I didn't realize that there's a lot of confidentiality around customer segmentation um, in the, in the uh, well, in every space, but was there, is there a part of the project that you can share like some sort of, of nugget um, that would, you know, potentially inform like a difference, different decision being made? You mean, that... you mean sharing it? So, so what I mean is business in the, in the, in the, you know, the, the, yeah. the people, the executives that are making the decisions, they're looking yes. for information and that information has to come to them in, in, um, in yes. close to real time often, right? So, because right. they're going to make a decision, they have to make a decision. The, the speed is, of decisions has mm. just continued to increase. So, as you think about a multi-year segmentation, which is a heroic effort, by the way, how are they interacting with that data or that mm -hmm. um, the insights yes. that you provided them, so that yeah, they're able to make an informed decision. So, from multiple front uh, fronts, uh, on one side is just a unified language to talk about our consumers or the different segments of consumers, um, and a different language, um, not a different, sorry, the same language across the whole reorganization to talk about those needs and those. Yeah, those, those needs that consumers have for our um, occasion, which is breakfast. 
Um, and then opportunities, opportunity identification, where are the white spaces uh, where um, where we are not playing that, um, you know, it's, an, it's it might be very important for consumers, but we don't have a need, um, we don't have a solution for them. So it has triggered innovation on that side too. And again, brand strategy also, because um, and portfolio assessment, we have a, you know, a, a, a pretty broad um, set of, of brands and we need to differentiate them and, um, you know, understanding who are consuming those brands, but also, um, you know, how do we pull them apart so that they can play in a bigger space? And, and uh, when we're developing innovation, we also want to be true to the positioning of those brands and who the consumer is. So it's been a, a different, uh, really a different front, uh, front. And then, again, opportunity identification um, of how to, what are the biggest um, white spaces for, for the different markets are um, at a global level and then at a regional level. So tell me about a market research challenge that you're facing today. Nice. I think I might have two instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> I think one, one is pretty obvious. I think it's technology. Challenge is not negative. To me, it's challenge or, or opportunity, right? But I think technology, I think we're kind of like in this um, changing period. Where I think I think it's obvious that technology has completely disrupted the industry probably in the last I don't know three to five years after a pretty quiet and and stable period I would say and I think we we're being good at adapting technology to increase uh, you know consumer engagement to reduce the dropout rates to get more accurate data I think we have evolved there but there's a lot of shiny objects out there that I feel that neither companies nor um, research agencies know exactly how to use yet. And I'm, of course, topic, talking about virtual reality, reality and machine learnings and things like that. So I'm really keen to look for ways to better understand how to use technology with purpose. So I hate when a vendor calls me to say, hey, you know, we're doing a lot of things on VR. Like, don't tell me this. Let ask me what's my business challenge, and I'll tell you what it is. And then you tell me if VR is the way to solve it, but not the other way around. No, what do you think? <laughs> I hundred percent agree with this point. So I consult for a number of startups, and the biggest complaint, if you want to think of it that way, that I've had or that I have is that oftentimes entrepreneurs will have a great product or service that they are trying to map to a problem. So it's like they start with a technology yes. uh, and, and then they're trying to then kind of figure out, okay, good, where does that, where does that fit? Where can I, how can I monetize it? I, I always say you guys got to reverse the side of it. You, you, know, you need to focus on where's the customer's pain point in the market, right? Where's the op and that represents the opportunity that then you need to apply the technology or the service or whatever your however you're baking your solution so that it adds value to the customer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yep. you said two things. That was one. Yes. So the the other one, uh, which is um, it, more than to me more than a, a challenge is an opportunity, and and we talked about it before, which is consumer empathy. Um, I mean, there's studies out there that 
that prove that consumer-centric organizations who put the consumer first are the ones that are performing the market. I don't know if you've uh, read, there's this 2019, the Watermark Consulting Study. Have you read that? It I'm going to, recently. I didn't have a, no. So it's very interesting. They looked at what happened to the, um, you know, cumulative stock uh, performance of the top t- 10 and the bottom 10, um, you know, traded companies in, in, you know, in the past like 11 years mm-hmm. or 10 years. And the result was that uh, the leader companies in, cus- in consumer experience or consumer empathy outperformed the um, S- S&P 500, the American Stock Market Index, by like 45%. And the bottom companies performed way worse. It was something like 70% less than the same average. So there's proof, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that consumer-centric organizations, you know, do better. And because they create value for the consumer, which is what we were mentioning before. So um, it's a key, key focus uh, for us uh, to ensure that basically every decision-making element um, is, is based on, on the consumer. Um, so we want to know the consumer better than anyone else. We are there to the field scene, which is something that we had kind of forgotten, I think, like being in the, behind the mirror is kind of like past those times. So really getting to know what's the what's the tension, how are they, who are they there and 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 put consumer centricity at the center. I mean, right right now, right, we're trying to to create a. Um, um, a, cons- a consumer centric uh, kind of activity that we're partnering with, with HR to make the whole company across market regions to be more consumer-centric. So it's not the role of CI to be consumer-centric. It's not the role of our function. It's everyone's role and responsibility to know the consumer. Oh, yes. This is this is something that is I've seen trend in the last, I want to say, gosh, relatively recently, uh, where there's a concerted effort to create consumer em- empathy at across the organization. So everybody inside of the company is thinking about the consumer first and the decisions that they're making, which when you think about it, like from an HR perspective, is a is a material shift from how we used to think about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a and it's a it's a really difficult. I mean, it's, you know, organizational clarity is probably one of the number one, I would say, biggest challenges of any CEO uh, or CHRO. And mm-hmm. Um, the, how do you guys actually empower that knowledge across a large organization? So we have, you know, I think there's many different things. One of the obviously most um, powerful one is that we have a CEO that is probably the most consumer-centric person of the whole organization. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that helps, right? That helps. He is, you know, he goes to visit markets, every market he visits, probably every week, every couple of weeks he meets with a consumer. He goes and does in-home interviews with consumers. Every market that he goes, and then he posts back to the whole company his learnings about the consumer there. So, you know, there is this um, um, this culture of the consumer must be put at the center, which is, you know, um, you know it starts from the top. And, and obviously our function is a critical piece. So we're um, encouraging, in, you know, we bring the consumer along the process. We use learning, uh, sorry, research for learning 
purposes, not for validation. Um, so we're more about finding agile ways to meet with a few consumers or get some intuition to move to the next level or the next step of the journey more than we have everything 100% finalized and let's just test it and do this huge research, which we also do. Huh? We also do validation, but then we have tools. We have uh, an empathy toolkit uh, that um, has been rolled out to all the regions and the markets. So whenever there's a project for a brand in one region, they can go down and look activities and, and do empathy activities like, you know, shop alongs or go um, to the store as if you were this consumer or, you know, meet uh, someone of these characteristics, that kind of thing. And the project that I was telling you before has also helped a lot because now we have um, you know, the same language and knowledge about who these consumers are, how to pull them apart, what are their values that they have, what what do they care for, what is the food that they eat, you know, we get to know them much better. So there's different different tools, but they all walk in the same direction. And yeah, so it's, uh, I, I say that, um, you know, in the organization in the last few months, and especially since the, the new CEO joined, that, uh, that our function is trending topic. <laughs> So everyone yeah. wants to go and and that's the, you know the best position you can be at right when when you have almost in a meeting with senior leaders when one of the others says you know oh I can't believe you haven't been seeing the consumer you've been, really like I was you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's kind of they're, they're kind of proud of it saying oh really I was seeing the consumer last week and that's amazing because that means uh, that they you know they're all uh, preaching what uh, mm-hmm. you know what they mm-hmm. what they believe in in, in saying and, and walking the talk instead of just being you know words <laughs> there definitely has been a visible a measurable shift at the c suite you know with adoption of insights from a from a direct connection perspective so you know there used to be if, at least from the organizations i was exposed to which i feel was a lot you know, there was a there were a few layers between the executives and especially key executives and consumer insights. And now I'm hearing more and more about organizations, even at the CEO level, who are making direct connections on a regular basis with consumers in order to just maintain their fingers on their pulse. Yes, this is great. I mean, what else can we ask for, right? As uh, resp- people who are, you know, responsible of uh, of a function like us. I mean, it's an honestly, it's it is literally the most exciting time in my career. Yes, I feel the same for market research and insights, consumer insights in general, mm-hmm. right? Because we quite literally are have a you know red carpet into into the boardroom and direct influence. I mean, you know, I'm actually very thankful for the Qualtrics acquisition because I believe it created my. I mean, it's belief, it's fact. It created it. A direct value association with consumer insights. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you, SAP, for that. The number of calls I'm getting from financial institutes that are looking for making to make investments and acquisitions in this space is just like, it's every day, it's mm. multiple times a day. And, and it was, and that's from maybe, you know, one or two a week, a month rather prior uh, to that acquisition. Mm. And so, you know, and, and so every organization is now having to perk up and say, wow, that, that's an oversized valuation, or is it? And if it, and and then they have to understand what that thesis is. Mm-hmm. And and to your earlier point about the watermark study, um, you know, they who doesn't want that to outperform the S and P five hundred? And and the way that you do that is just profoundly obvious. Mm-hmm. To your point. Now the question is, 
And that's the reason why it's also a challenge is you have to actually prove. I'm not saying proof with numbers, but there has to be actions, actionable insights in order to maintain that traction. Because if we as a function are given the trust to go and, and be the center, let's say, of any initiative, and we don't prove that what we do is actually you know, having an impact in the organization, then the, the virtual circle can stop. <laughs> so uh, we, we do have a responsibility too to, to perform and to ensure that this is, I mean, we be, I strongly believe it, that it will result, that, that, that being consumer-centric results in, in better decision-making and therefore growth for the company. But you have to perform. You have to have a team that is focused on actions and not just, you know, th- there's, there are certain elements associated to make that happen. Yeah, that, I mean, so the ROI on research and a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we've got to we've got to really frame what we do to that point because it, it is easy to start retrenching in I'll call it like the traditional methodology approach, which which is more um, validation to your point versus learning. Of course, you have to have both in an mm. organization, but um, you know, it, right. but what. And if the organization invests in the function, right, because they believe that 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 that's how we should do it, but the function is, or not the function, but then the company doesn't perform as I suspected, then there's a danger of saying, oh, you know what, I thought you were very useful, but <laughs> you're not. So there is uh, also an element on us to make sure that what that what we learn from the consumer is actionable, is transformed. Those insights are transformed into things that are actionable and important and 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 differential for the company. So, I mean, so this kind of gets to the heart of my earlier question, which is market research used to sit as a specific function inside of the organization. And now what I'm seeing is market research is informing, you know, is giving information um, and empowering insights so that when the UX designer or the product owner or whoever inside of the company has a question, then they immediately have a treasure trove of data that they can then, you know, make a decision. And that, and to your, to your mm-hmm. point, that, that is the big challenge, right? Is because we can't necessarily, we have to be more, we have to, I believe we have to see ourselves as more of empowerers as opposed to mm-hmm. you know, gatekeepers. Um, and, Right. Oh, yes. That's and I think that that is something that I'm just seeing over and over from a theme perspective from consumer based organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, empowers storytellers. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Influencers. Right. So uh, there has been a lot of technology in the, that's introduced outside of market research, and market research companies are always thinking about how can we, you know, apply this to our space, even though we're not on the um, early adopter part of the curve. Mm-hmm. How do you think the market research space is going to be different in five years? Well, I think technology obviously is will impact. We have only started. So I think kind of like the digital transformation of channels will happen. So omni-channel, more channels, more complex channels, more, more blurriness between the online and the offline world. I think that can only uh, increase. Mobile only is the other element that I think we're now in transition time, but uh, in a few years, I don't think we're going to be having any more desktop <laughs> surveys. I think uh, we're we're probably already really late, but it's starting to move. 
And then virtual reality, I think, also as a, as a way to engage with consumers and a way to, um, to be efficient when you have to um, just to be in front of the, especially for big organizations that operate, for example, in different markets or across different uh, channels, I think it can be super powerful, but with purpose again. <laughs> and then artificial intelligence also, I think um, it will kind of become the mainstream data analysis tool. So it will save time and, and be more accurate and, and will be more. And I think the other element is the an even higher need for agility and speed because people's expectations are faster every day. I mean, are, are increasing, sorry, are increasing faster every day. And, uh, you know, information is expected to be available now, immediately, both, I think, from the consumer side, but also on the company side. So consumers want things now, <laughs> so they cannot wait for a year until we have the pipeline ready. But companies also need the information of those changes, you know, to be available faster. So um, I do see this trend of less kind of big, robust pieces of information, as I was mentioning before, and more kind of like agile, do-it-yourself approaches that get you kind of closer to the consumer along the process. I mean, we can, if we look at things like the proliferation of the online communities nowadays, I think it's a sign of, you know, people can just, you know, bring the the consumer along the journey in a way that is not perfect, but it's going to give you some informed intuition to move to the next stage. Can you elaborate a little bit on the online communities point that you just made? I think it's really important. Yeah. So I think there's been a, a broader use of online communities, I think, in the last few years where, you know, you basically have the opportunity to have um, a group of consumers at your fingertips um, in an environment that is more um, friendly for them, that they move around in a, in a nice way. And, and it gives you an agility to find answers or insights or, or better understanding that has never, that we've never had before. Like before we had a question, you ask it, you put to the questionnaire, you ask a question, you take it, you analyze it. And now you can just, you know, have your consumers, bring it there, um, bring some questions, read what they say, what they related to, the comments that they make, and that already gives you, triggers something for you to continue working on what you're having without having a month of stopped. I don't, I don't want the perfect uh, report. I don't need it. I don't need a, a 50 pages report with every single quote. I can just go in there and see what they're saying. And that will help me understand, or me, or, or the, you know, the marketing manager, or or whoever, no. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very that's one tool, right? But I think it's a very powerful one that um, allows agility and consumer centricity at the same time. I love that. What are the three characteristics of an all-star employee? Okay, so. Um, yes. And by the way, there's no pressure because your mom has <laughs> <laughs> been in HR a long time. <laughs> true, true. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you what I look for in my team, for example, or for myself. I don't know if it'll be an all-star, but I'm sure it's kind of what to me represents kind of the things that are important. 
uh, and I don't know if it'll be three or, 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 or but the kind of like the things I have in the top of my mind. First, it's action oriented. I think, I mean, we talked about it throughout the whole conversation. Um, you, we need people that are result driven, who are having an impact in the, you know, in in the work that they do. That look for solutions, that are. Um, Efficient, not from the point of view of working a lot of hours. It's about making sure that what they produce or that the work that they do is having an impact, is triggering an action. That's super important to me. And, and, and that's usually related to other skills such as, you know, the ability to influence or um, having initiative. Usually those employees who are action-oriented are people who are just kind of nominating themselves for any project that's coming and have you know, these skills to to persuade with the information that they have or to influence with the information that they have so that you're always looking for an impact. I think that would be one. We also talked about the need of agility, and I think um, that makes me think about the need of, of, um, of being flexible and adaptable. I mean, the world is changing every day, and um, we need that security critical skill to me. We can, we have to be able to pivot, to pivot, to change, to be able to adapt, to, 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 to be able to navigate in uncertain waters without struggling. Um, I, I face unclear situations every single day. You need to be able to cope with them and to make the most of it and don't stress. So, um, you know, and, and again, it ties me back with, um, uh, this uh, initiative that we were mentioning before, people who have a better ability to adapt to new environments are the ones who are usually asking or nominating themselves for a new challenge because they want to pivot, they are able to change and they look for um, this movement and, and not to stay like, you know, st- stiff in, in, the same, uh, in the same role um, because that's also what helps us grow, right? So they see, they see value on it too. <laughs> I'm just like I totally okay. <laughs> and then I, I think also the other one to me is just having commitment and having passion I think you know if you don't have passion for what you do is just just go home <laughs> you know and I think passion and commitment can overcome other skills you know, you don't need to be necessarily the smartest person in the world, but if you're dedicated and you're passionate for you, you'll make it happen. And to me, that's very, very important. If you don't, you know, people need to be motivated to be uh, enjoying coming to work every day. We work a lot of hours, so you have to, to you know, to care for what you're doing. And uh, And it's just a mindset more than a skill, I think. You have to yeah, you just have to enjoy what you're doing. Um, you, you'll find, if you're a passionate person, you'll find the way to make exciting whatever you you do, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think those would be my three. And I think all of them just kind of take, if a person has all of these three skills, I think they would have also leadership qualities uh, because they'll be confident, they'll be willing to take challenges, they'll have initiative, they'll be, you know, responsible and, uh, you know, good communicator. So it, it all kind of ties together. As far as taking 
taking a lot of notes. I actually have never, I've never heard anyone (laughs) connect uh, the core values to a byproduct of leadership. I think that is super insightful. Uh, It's, it, it, it's funny because it, it, completely drives the type of people that you want inside of an organization, which in an ideal world are people that are, how do I put it, are moving the needle, right? And, mm-hmm. and have, and, and see themselves as empowered mm-hmm. as opposed to more of the automaton rubber stamp mm. type of a role. Uh, and, and when you think about consumer uh, centric cultures, the that has to be a characteristic of it because you need everybody from the intern to the ceo to ask themselves a question is this good for the consumer Mm -hmm. and when that and as soon as they feel like gosh maybe it's not then they have the opportunity to be able to raise their hand Mm -hmm. you can't do any of that unless they have that sort of mentality Mm. agree so i have a, a couple of questions that came in on linkedin uh, when I posted this morning, you know, you and I, were, I was having the pleasure of, of interviewing you. Do you mind if I ask you some of the questions? Oh, of course. <laughs> so um, the first one is from Matthew O'Mara, and he asks, is it true, and he claims his daughter believes it is, that cereal can actually be dinner? <laughs> well, I think any any... Any food can be eaten at any moment. I, I mean, uh, you know, what what do you yeah. mean? I don't know if I understand what it means that it can be dinner. I think. Uh, I think. I, I think he's are, probably he's probably in a power struggle with his daughter. Um, <laughs> uh, he doesn't want. I assume he doesn't want her to eat cereal for uh, dinner. And, for dinner, and she okay. Probably <laughs> wants to. Eat it. Well, I, what I can tell you is that um, I mean we. We operate in the breakfast occasion for a reason because we know that uh, we have, um, you know, the ingredients and the the nourishment that is relevant at the breakfast occasion because our products uh, and I know that the category might have, uh, you know, some bad press, but in reality, um, cereal is a very great option at breakfast um, and it has you know, all the right elements to be, to, to be present in this occasion. Um, I don't know if I would be, I don't want to advocate <laughs> for anyone to, to, to go ahead and all of a sudden have a, you know, a cereal for any meal. I don't want to get into that <laughs> discussion. Um, but I know that at breakfast is certainly a, a good option. I think he'll, he'll like hearing that. That's probably exactly the answer he wanted. <laughs> Um, the last question that I'll ask you, and there are a few more that I'll follow up with later um, through LinkedIn, but is from Ted Waz of the Opinion Economy, and he's just he's really he's asking, and it's a longer question, but the the gist of it is, um, are you seeing, or do you guys have concerns around what he's framing as click farms, uh, where you have basically automated respondents taking surveys? Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I um, I would say it's not a concern, a strong concern right now, but it's probably one of the biggest concerns that we'll have in the future. It's true I didn't mention it, but it's, um, you know, when we were talking about the digital transformation and the, and the, the kind of like the, uh, yeah, the artificial intelligence and all the machine learning coming, 
I think um, that will be a very, very big watch out that uh, the industry is going to have to figure out. <laughs> so, yeah. It, yeah, I think uh, that's a great that's a great question indeed. So my last question is, what is your motto? Hmm. I don't know if I have a motto, but if I have, if I would have to um, make one right now, I would say it's just. Uh, you know, just do your best. Hmm. It seems small, but uh, and it might sound uh, probably very cliche, but I, to me it means just so much. It means that you're just putting the best effort into everything that you do. And to be honest, it's probably the only way you can feel with a living a feeling of self satisfaction. Because even if things don't turn out, there's always going to be someone that is better than you. There's always going to have, you know, someone who did an amazing job. But if you feel that what you've done is the best, that you've put your soul and heart into it, then that's that's already rewarding. It's, it's only yours. I think that personal satisfaction is only yours um, and you only deserving. And that's a personal feeling that... Um, no matter if things don't turn out, you've done your best. That would probably be my motto. <laughs> my guest today has been Estrella Lopez Brea, Global Head of Consumer Connections at Serial Partners Worldwide. Thank you, Estrella, very much for joining me today on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And everyone, if you'd please take a few moments, share this episode, you can screenshot it, um, put it on LinkedIn, Twitter. It would mean the world to me. Also, your ratings on Apple iTunes is a huge benefit in that it creates additional visibility of this podcast to other insights professionals. I hope all of you have a fantastic rest of your day. I want to take just a moment and thank G3 Translate. They have been a very valuable partner for Happy Market Research Podcasts and the work that we've been doing here. I greatly appreciate it. They transcribe each one of our interviews, which range from 20 to 40 minutes for free for us, it is a humongous benefit because it improves overall accessibility of the content that we are creating jointly with the research community. They have a unique approach. They're able to turn things around within 24 hours. I am very, very grateful for G3 Translate and hope that you will consider them for your next translation company project. Take the time. Go ahead and go on social media. You can find them. Simply Google G3 Translate. That's the number three. And you'll find their website as well as uh, LinkedIn. It would be mean literally the world for me if you take the time to do that. Thanks so much.